Thanks for checking out the YVF podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you in whatever season of life you're in. Now here's Pastor Kevin. Gospel of Luke and chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, which is a really long chapter, and we're going to begin looking at verse 76. Luke chapter 1, and we'll look at verse 76. So this morning I have a message on my heart for Family Sunday about families and about the tender mercies of our God. Um, So we were singing about, how did that line go? His mercy took away my shame or something like that. That wasn't the exact line. But but, um, just the power of the mercy, the tender mercies of our God. And I need to, I want to share a little bit of a testimony with you uh, to go along with that. Uh, If you know me really well and have known me for as long as I've known some people in this church, at least maybe not close, but you've known of me because I would come here many, many years ago. I think the first time I came to Yarrington was in 1994. So whatever that is, 28 years ago. If, if you know my family really well, then you know a lot of details about my family. Uh, if you don't, then you don't know very much about me, <laughs> and that's okay. I'm not going to share a whole lot of uh, in-depth details, but I just want to share a little bit of a testimony from my own life uh, because I really believe that it's going to be an encouragement to you, and you need to understand the context of the word that the Lord's put on my heart to share with you this morning. So last Sunday, a lot of people were kind of surprised, like, what, we have this special guest, and wasn't Leon Patello awesome? <laughs> and, and Kevin just pumped him up so much, and then Pastor wasn't even here on Sunday. What's the deal with that? Well, I know. Well, I didn't feel bad for me because it, it was amazing. So everybody always has to just be where God wants them to be and needs them to be. So last Sunday, or last uh, weekend, I was in Oklahoma for Stephen's birthday. See, so in case you don't know, because there's new people here, Stephen is our oldest son. He's 37 years old, and I'm 58 years old, just in case you didn't know. So obviously, he was born when I was really a young guy, right? And I thought I was pretty old then, but I was pretty young. And uh, in case you didn't know, we have 11 children plus foster children. And uh, uh, for some people, that's shocking. For, that, for us, that's just an amazing blessing from God. And um, so in Oklahoma, we actually have six children and two sons-in-law, and two daughters-in-law, if I'm not losing count, and four grandchildren that all live in Oklahoma, six including Stephen, who used to live here. And so there was an opportunity that uh, Tanya really arranged, and Stephen arranged, and uh, wasn't, I wasn't expecting it, but there was an opportunity for me to fly that was really kind of a surprise for me, and uh, to fly there and be with Stephen and be with what I thought to be with some of my other kids that are there. Um, and while I was there, and I'll get into a little more testimony about what God did there, but while I was there, I went to church last Sunday with, with Stephen and Rita and their kids. And uh, what an amazing church. I'm so blessed to see just, 
just seeing that would have been worth going to see that my son and his family have found a good church home because it's not easy to find a good church home. And I pray that this is a good church home for you because when I walked in the door of this church, and it wasn't a really large church, it was a little bit smaller than our church, but when I walked in the door of this church, uh, within five minutes, I felt like I had been in this church for 15 years. Everybody, and some of the people talking to me didn't know I was Stephen's dad or a pastor or anything like that. They just made me feel so welcome with the love of God. And that's really rare. I've visited a lot of churches where it's hard to get to know anybody and nobody really talks to you that much and people are real shy and everything, but it wasn't like that there. And then the worship was amazing. There was even one song I want us to do here that was really a good song I'd never heard before. And then the message, the pastor's message was, was really a good message. But in the pastor's message, there were some things that the Lord was speaking to me that I'm not even sure the pastor intended for them to come across that way. But hopefully that happens when I'm preaching for you, that as you listen, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you personally in your life. And there may be things that the Holy Spirit's speaking to you that I, don't even, I didn't even plan for you to hear them in that way, but you heard them, or it might be just a side note in the Bible, and the Lord just really spoke something to you, okay? So, that said, uh, Luke chapter 1, one of the, he, the pastor was preaching through the Gospel of Luke, and so one of the passages he read was what I'm going to read to you right now. And uh, as he was reading it, the Lord just spoke something very strongly to my heart, and I could not get away from it. It was just a word the Lord was speaking to me in the context of the miracle he was doing while I was there that I'll talk about in a second. So this is concerning John the Baptist, Luke chapter 1, verse 76. I'm going to read verses 76 through 79, and just listen to them. It says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord. So the child in that context is John the Baptist, and the Lord is Jesus, right? And this is a prophecy concerning him before he was even born. And you, child, will be called, or, or at, at the time of his birth, rather. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways. To give, listen to this, just listen to all the words of this, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. I want to say something to you this morning, that this is what we need in our lives. We have a knowledge of salvation. You know, we know we're saved or we believe we're saved, but there's a knowledge of salvation where you know that you know that you know. And it's so settled in your life that it changes every aspect of your life. And the Lord just, this just jumped out to me when the pastor was reading this, that the knowledge of our salvation comes by or in the forgiveness of our sin. Many of you this morning, you may be watching on the internet, you may be sitting here right now, but many of you do not know that your sins are forgiven. You confess that on Sunday morning, you sing it in songs, but you don't feel it on the inside. You don't really feel that those sins are forgiven. This knowledge, and you know, sin is a lot more than you did some bad thing. The word sin in the scripture means literally, in both Greek and Hebrew, the missing of a mark. 
that you tried to do the right thing and you failed. You know, there are sins of commission where we purposely do things wrong that we know that we know that are wrong. And those things are actually easier to deal with in our lives because we know they're wrong. We knew it was wrong before we ever went into it, and we ask God to forgive us for that. And hopefully as we grow in the Lord, we do that less and less. But no matter how much we grow in the Lord, we continue to, um, uh, to fall into these sins of omission, where we just fail to do the right thing. We wanted to do right, and it just all uh, completely fell apart. And God wants you to know this morning that as far as the east is from the west, and by the way, if you start heading east, you'll never end up heading west. Think about it. That's how far they are from each other. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far by the blood of Jesus he has separated you from your sin. So much so that in 1 John chapter 3, it says that because his seed abides in you, you cannot sin. It's very obvious in 1 John that he's not saying that you cannot fail or commit a sin because in 1 John chapter 1, he says that if you say you have no sin, you're a liar and that when we sin, we should confess those sins before God. But then in chapter 3, he says you cannot sin and, and that's because he's taking sin to the next level. What he's showing us there is because you have been born again and the seed of Jesus Christ dwells on the inside of you, your life cannot be a failure. You are destined for success. If you'll just believe this and follow God, we need to have this knowledge of the forgiveness of our sin. Over years of ministry, uh, I've noticed that one of the biggest problems people have is not even forgiving others, but it's forgiving themselves or receiving the forgiveness that God offers to them and walking as the righteousness of God in Christ. And most often, the problem with forgiving others has mostly to do, if we'd admit it, that we cannot forgive our own selves, that we don't feel the righteousness on the inside. I want to talk to you about feelings today, because feelings are really important. Um, in our quest to understand faith, oftentimes we reject feelings, but feelings are hugely important in our lives, and God um, wants us to feel things. So, okay, verse 76. So let's look at verse 77. It says, so he's going to prepare the ways of the Lord to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of the sins. And this is what I want to really focus on. Look at verse uh, 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God. Now here in just a few minutes, I want to extrapolate this word tender and this understanding of tender mercies. But it's because of the tender mercy of our God. And by the way, this phrase tender mercy has everything to do with feelings, what God feels about you. You know what we sang in that song? I can't remember all the words to it, you know, but that when he looks on me, he doesn't see sin. If I'm in Jesus Christ, how much he loves me. He loves me more than any parent in here loves his children or her children. And you know how you love them. You don't see failures in them. Others might see them, but you're always going to defend them, you know, to the nth degree because you see their potential. You see who they really are mainly because you see yourself in them, right? In your own children. Well, think of this. God sees himself in you because you are in Christ Jesus. Because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high, Malachi chapter 4, I don't have time to read it, but you can go look at it. Uh, it says that the, the sun 
that will rise with healing in its wings, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. We need to find, our world needs to find a way of peace. And we need that way of peace in our lives. I know that it's just known by the Holy Spirit, not because I know certain specific situations or something, but I know that many of you are sitting here this morning, perhaps all of us are sitting here this morning, and we know we need to find a way of peace in our families. So before I go any further, I want to read some other scriptures to you and talk to you about these tender mercies. Let me just share a little testimony. I don't really like sharing this testimony, perhaps because, you know, nobody likes their life to be an open book, but... Um, uh, but I know by the Holy Spirit I need to because it's important for you to hear these things. So I said that uh, we have six children that live in Oklahoma. What I did not say is that some of them uh, I, I've seen off and on in, in recent years. Some of them have come here. And uh, you know, I'm not talking about Stephen who was always by our side and lived here but my five other children that, that live there, the youngest of which is 19. So, I mean, they're all grown up old guys now. But for over 10 years, I didn't see any of them, okay? And the youngest one of them, I had not seen him, had not seen him until last weekend, not seen him, not laid my eyes on him, not talked to him in 15 years. 14 years, since he was five years old. The reasons for that, I'm not going to go into them, but they have everything to do, if you know our life and family, you know a lot of the reasons, they have everything to do with the work of Satan and the evil that he sows in relationships to try to destroy relationships. And what I want to say is there are certain things that Satan works against our lives that no matter how strong we are, no matter how much money we spend on trying to fix those problems, uh, no matter how much time we spend on trying to fix those problems, no matter how much we cry about those problems and how much we stay up at night weeping and worrying over things, we can't fix them. They just won't change. It's like when somebody dies. There's just nothing you can do about it. And some of you are experiencing things like that in your family today. So I want to say also this, that in many years of ministry, I've ministered to a lot of people about their personal problems, you know, counseling, prayer for them, sharing the word of God with them when they, you know, come and ask for counsel or for prayer. And never once have I ever, this is the truth, have I ever met anybody that had family problems as bad as mine. And sometimes, quite often, I would listen to people, and it was so easy for me to minister to them because I had so much faith in my own heart about what was going on in my family. And I knew, oh, that, that's nothing, what you're talking about. That's easy. And that can be really good for us, but it can be really hard also. So before I go any further, I want to say this, that last weekend, the only thing I can say, because all I could say, this is being recorded, I don't want to give a bunch of details or anything, but... All I could say is this, if you were expecting a miracle and then God did something 
that was beyond any miracle you ever could have expected. That's what God did last weekend. Way beyond anything I could have ever expected, okay? And I did not expect that going there. And uh, Saturday evening, he did a huge miracle. And so I started thinking Sunday, because that was the other day, we were going to be together, maybe he's going to do more. And then I went to church that morning, and I heard this verse about his tender mercies. And I, I, I just began weeping, because suddenly I had this revelation, and God opened the wellsprings of my heart and filled them up with this feeling. I want to talk to you about feelings this morning, okay? You see, uh, in my own family, um, you know, I said that my youngest son, I hadn't seen him in, you know, like literally 15 years. And, you know, when he was very little, we were very close to him. Uh, when Sasha was super little, she was really close to him. She doesn't even probably remember that. But um, then 15 years goes by, you don't see somebody that you love so much. And I'm going to be honest with you, okay? When you walk by faith and you stand strong in faith, as we have stood strong in faith all these years, and I know we have, nonetheless, you begin to put your feelings, you begin to stuff your feelings down, to put them to death, I guess, to harden your heart in the area of feelings, because no human can continue to feel those kind of feelings all the time. We're just not geared for that. You can't go around life crying every day and worrying about everything every day, and you just turn that over to God, right? But as time goes by, for me, I began, to, I just didn't even notice it anymore. And I didn't notice it until that pastor read that verse, and my heart just opened up. I mean, literally just the Holy, I had to be there that Sunday morning. I know that now. The Holy Spirit just opened my heart and began to pour these feelings into me. I don't think he was really pouring them into me. It was like he took the cap off, and they began to gush forth again, okay? And I realized, God, I asked God to forgive me. I said, God, forgive me for stuffing those feelings down so far that I just don't, they're not even familiar to me anymore. I just didn't feel them anymore because I began to even see in my own life, and I don't want to get too personal here, but I began to see in my own life that stuffing down feelings in one area begins to make me not have those feelings in other areas, you know, because you can't really pick and choose with that kind of stuff. God wants us to feel his mercy. He wants us to feel his love in our lives. And I want to tell you that, um, that literally the kind of miracle God did this last weekend, it just, it just broke my heart to know, my God, you never stopped caring about all the stuff I care about. And I think I actually stopped caring about it. Or at least I stopped feeling it. You know, yeah, I kept walking by faith, confessing the right thing, praying the right thing, and that's important because faith is a battle. There's a battle for our faith. But I'm so thankful to God that he let me feel it again. Do you know what I'm talking about? Just let me feel it again. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I believe that today he wants you to know what I'm talking about. He wants you to have this knowledge of salvation. You know, many people have stood on this promise that you and all of your house shall be saved. Many people are praying for the salvation of their family. I've stood on that promise, and I've stood on the promises that God has given me about every one of my children from the time that they were born, but I've not seen it with my eyes, 
And suddenly, I saw it with my eyes last weekend. And I realized that he never forgot about those things. If anything, it's I who forgot about those things. It's I who didn't uh, continue to feel the things that he had given. We have to keep that fire alive on the inside of us. I don't care if it takes 15 years, if it takes 50 years. We have to keep the zeal of God alive in our hearts. You know, they were shocked when they uh, saw Jesus go into the temple and cleanse that temple out. But then they remembered after it happened, oh yeah, it says the zeal of the house of God has consumed me. Is that fire of God, the feelings, are they consuming our lives? You know, sometimes we don't want to seem too radical, so we stuff our feelings down. We don't want to get too excited about Jesus, so we stuff our feelings down. Well, I, by the way, when that church ended, our church was starting here, so I watched the whole thing on the live stream last week, and man, I was so blessed to see people dancing and happy and excited and like, wow, that's what Yarrington Vineyard Fellowship needs, to start feeling something again. I mean, we're not dead here. We're alive in Christ, and we need to be excited about Jesus. God wants to release those feelings on the inside of us. So that's enough kind of about the testimony. I mean, there's so much I could tell you, but you don't even have a context, most of you, to understand any of it. But, but it's just a miracle, okay? So go with me real quick over to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. And I want to say thank you to my wife because she actually believed that could happen this weekend. And I can say I did not believe that could happen, but I thought, well, fine, I'll go. You want me to go? I'll go. I'll have a nice time with Stephen, but nothing special is going to happen. Because... Yeah, he didn't self-trust his will. Huh? I always obey you. You know why? <laughs> Unless what you say is utterly stupid. But you know why? And you men should listen to this. God said to Abraham, what did he say? He said, you better listen to your wife. And what she was telling him to do really wasn't that smart. But he listened to her anyway. God works those things out when we walk as a husband and wife, one flesh, and as a team. I know better than not to listen. If she hears from God, I know I better listen to that. Because I don't want to miss out on what God wants to do in my life. But you know, you just try and try and try so much. And then you feel like, this is never going to work out. And then God does it. So it's amazing. And he has his time for everything. So in 2 Kings chapter 6, there's, you'd have to read, read the whole chapter when you get home uh, this, this, to understand the whole context of this. But this is a story about Elijah, and it's about his servant. Okay? And Elisha is a successor to Elijah, and a very powerful prophet of God who did many miracles God worked through him in such a powerful way. Actually, chapter 6 is an amazing chapter. Just read it when you get home. And at the beginning of the chapter, it has this kind of, you know, everyday story about the sons of the prophets. So they got this Bible school, Bible college. And the students are there, and Elisha is the teacher. And they say, hey, Elisha, our dormitory is too small, and we need to build a new dorm. And Elisha says, all right, build a new dorm. I don't care what you do. I'm just a teacher here. I'm going to build you a dorm. You build your own dorm. And they said, okay, so every man go down to the water and 
get a tree, chop down a tree, and bring the tree here, and we're going to build, everybody gets one tree, and we're going to build ourselves a new dorm out of this lumber. And they say, Elisha, would you go with me? And he goes, yeah, I'll go with you. I'm not going to chop down a tree with you, but I'll go with you. And so you got this story. And look at, look at verse 5. In verse 5, it says, but as one of the students was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, alas, my master, for it was borrowed. Then the man of God said, where did it fall? And when he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float. He said, take it up for yourself. So he put out his hand and he took it. Just a small miracle, kind of like Jesus changing the water to wine. But those things, these things are in the Bible for a reason. Last weekend, the Lord just spoke this uh, scripture to my heart because I saw that in the course of our work, in the course of our lives, not because we're doing anything wrong per se, but just because we live on this earth and bad things happen. They just do. You're chopping down the tree in the course of your work, and the axe head goes flying off the handle. Anybody that's ever used an axe has had that happen to them. And it just so happened when it went flying off the handle, it went into the river. And there's no way you're ever going to find that axe head. You're not going to find that iron down there on the bottom of that deep river, right? And so, but he has enough faith to cry out. It's his own master. What am I going to do? The axe head fell in there, and it would be one thing if it was my axe head, but it's not. I borrowed it from someone else, and the Lord just spoke to me this last weekend. And I really saw this in this, that my, and I'm talking about myself, but I'm talking about our families. My children, they're borrowed from the Lord. They're borrowed from the Lord. They, they've been given to us on loan. We only have them for a time. And if everything goes as planned, we're going to get buried before they do, right? And we only have this much time with them. We only have today with them. They're borrowed from the Lord. And now, by no fault of this man, really, you know, he's just going about his business. There's no guilt in this, but it just happened. The axe head fell into the water, and there's no way to get it back. And I want you to see how much God cares about every little thing. You know, Elisha could have said, well, what do you want me to do? Let's take up an offering so you can buy a new axe head or something. But you can't buy a new child, can you? You can't buy a new life. There are things that you can't return anymore. And he says, this can't be returned because I borrowed this from somebody and he wants that axe head back. God wants that back, what he's given to us. He wants the talent that he's given to us to produce more and give it back to him. And so Elisha does this miracle. And how does the miracle work? He takes a stick and he throws it in there. What's the stick? It's the cross of Jesus Christ. That wood in the Old Testament, it always symbolizes the cross. He takes the wood of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the cross where Jesus took our sin upon himself and our failures and our axe heads that went flying off. God cares about every little thing in our lives if we just trust him to care about that. And he throws the stick into that water and boom, the axe head turns into a, a ship. It begins to float. He goes, reach out there and grab it. He goes, okay, a miracle happens. God returns what was lost, okay? And then we go down further in, in uh, chapter 6 of 2 Kings. If you'll just hold on, look at verse 15. 
you got to read the whole chapter to get the context. But the king of Syria sends an army up against Elisha because they want to capture Elisha. Why? Because Elisha knows everything they're doing. God's telling him. And so the king of Syria can't uh, uh, do his battle plans because they're always spoiled by Elisha who hears from God. So he says, we're going to send an army and capture the prophet of God so that he won't prophesy anymore. You know, we'll just put him to death or put him in prison somewhere. And they send this army to capture him. Most of you know this story. It says in verse 15 that when the attendant, that's the servant of the man of God, had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. I don't know if you've ever felt like your family is under siege. I've felt that for 15 years. I'm just being very transparent with you, that your family is under siege. And then suddenly, look at what it says here. His servant says to him, Oh, alas, my master, what shall we do? And Elisha answers, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. At that very moment, the servant must have thought, You're nuts, Elisha, because there's two of us, and there are 10,000 of them, or however many there were. There are two of us with no weapons. There's just me and my wife, or me and my servant, me and my friend. There's just two of us. But Elisha sees what the servant cannot see, and God wants us to see that today, that there are more with us. If God be for us, who can be against us? There are more with us than there are against us. And then Elisha prays and says, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Like God would open your eyes, and you would walk out of here this morning, and every mountain surrounding this valley, you would see chariots of fire and angels with drawn swords on those mountains, and all of them are on your side. What can Satan do against the person who has God on his side? So go with me over to Mark chapter 6 now. Mark chapter 6. I want to talk to you about these tender mercies. Okay? That's the foundation for this. Go with me over to Mark chapter 6. So we read in Luke chapter 1 the prophecy concerning John the Baptist. That he would go and prepare a way for the Lord. So that people would have the knowledge of their salvation and the forgiveness of sin. So that they would find the way of peace for their lives and for their families. The way of peace was never about peace on the world peace, you know, in the United Nations or something. They never had a way of peace in the first century. The whole book of Acts, they've got war, they've got persecution. It was never about outward peace. It was about peace in their families, salvation for their homes, peace in their lives, and that's what we need today. They could keep fighting in Ukraine for 10 years to come. It could turn into an entire world war. It could turn into a nuclear war. But we can still have God's peace in our lives, and we must have God's peace in our lives and in our families. So Sunday evening, I drove with Stephen from Tulsa to Norman, Oklahoma. And that's about a two-hour drive because we Saturday we met Norman, and Sunday after church we went to Tulsa and had lunch all together. Never in, I, I don't even know how long, I can't tell you, maybe 20 years, had that, all of them been together. 
with me. They've been individually with each other, but not all together. And it's just, I could have just sat there and just listened to them talk. Just listen to the things that God was doing and not even said a word. And the whole way back, all I have is so much peace. Wow. Because I've just been so worried about them. <laughs> you know, I've been so worried about them. They're not all going to church, you know. And I remember when they received Jesus. And I remember when they were baptized, you know. And some of them are so far away from you, God. And they don't, you know, they're, you know, they're not voting for Republican candidates. They're voting for Democrats. They're all a bunch of liberals. And, I mean, this is real stuff that you worry about in your family. You know, they, they don't have the right worldview. They're not thinking the right way. They're not living the li right lifestyle. They're smoking pot when they shouldn't be smoking pot. They're doing this. They're doing that or something like that. And I can't, I just want to tell you that the whole way back, I, I, I don't know if I'm repenting or what it is, but I'm just telling God, man, God, I just didn't get it. I have not understood this for so long. I forgot that you actually care about them more than I care about them. I thought you needed me for their salvation. Turns out that I'm somewhat dispensable. <laughs> that you can do a miracle without my help, as it turns out. And the whole way back, I just have so much peace. I still have it today. Like, pfft, I'm not worried about a thing. God knows exactly where they are. He's got them exactly at the place he needs them to be. They shouldn't be any further along down the road. They shouldn't be any less down the road. They're exactly where God needs them to be and that they are saved. There's a knowledge of this salvation for my family, and it's, it's just amazing. So try not to get too personal here, but you've got to understand that because it's a, there's feelings that God wants to give back to us. So this word, this is really what this tender mercies of our God. So this is a very interesting word. The word mercy in Greek is elios, which is just mercy. And mercy is not just mercy, it's mercy. One of the best definitions of mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. And one of the best definitions of grace is when we do get what we don't deserve. But God's mercy. But this, this adjective that comes before it, tender, it's a very interesting word. It's actually a noun, but it's translated as an adjective here. It's the best way to translate it into English. And it's in plural. And it has a very strange sound in Greek. It's, it sounds like this, splachnon. Splachnon. And the strange sound, if I tell you what it means, it actually sounds like the right word for that. It actually literally means the entrails or the intestines of an animal or a human. Okay? And especially the vital organs. If anybody hunts, you know that part you want to shoot for, that's the splachnon. Heart, liver, lungs, spleen, that area. Okay? And it seems like a strange word. But what it literally means is, if you were to translate this literally, it would say, because of the bowels of mercy of our God. It's a word that the Greeks began to use, and by the time of the New Testament, it was most common uh, to use it to refer to pretty much what we call the heart. But the heart is something different still. And without getting into a lot of details, the difference is this, is you can know something in your heart, but not feel it in your gut, Okay. You can have faith in your heart and you're standing strong, but you don't feel it anymore in your gut. This word has everything to do with feelings. It's that feeling of God's mercy. It's a feeling that I think the best example is that a parent 
feels for their child at the end of the day, no matter what their kid's done, you know, no matter how mad they are, no matter how much of a failure that kid is, when they really get peace in their heart and sit down and think about it, they think, but I just can't help but love that kid because he came out of me. He's my kid. Okay? It's these bowels of mercy. So look at Mark chapter 6, verse 31. Mark chapter 6 and verse 31 Um, it says, so the apostles are gathered together with Jesus. They've been working all day. And it says that Jesus says to them, verse 31, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. And they went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. And let me, if, if you're a man here, I know you know that you feel the same thing I feel. I don't know about women, but every man, like these disciples, if they haven't had time to eat all day, they're going to be in a bad mood, okay? They're going to be in a really bad mood. And Jesus knows that they're in a bad mood because they've been working all day long and they are just hungry. They missed their breakfast, they missed their lunch, and now they've missed their dinner. And so Jesus says, let's go away to some place where the people cannot find us. We're going to take a few days off. We're going to go on a retreat. I've got it all planned out. The food's going to be awesome. And they're excited that they get to go on this retreat. So they get in the boat. They go away to this place by themselves. And it says in verse 33, the people saw them going and many recognized them and ran together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. That ruins the retreat. And when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd. But then listen to what it says. It doesn't say he was mad at them. I would have been mad at them. I'll bet Peter was mad. I'll bet even John was mad, but not Jesus. It says he felt compassion for them. This is that same word. He had his bowels, I don't know, this sounds weird in English, but just feel it in your heart. His bowels moved on the inside of him with mercy. He felt mercy for them. He felt compassion for them. It wasn't just, a formal statement of faith. It wasn't just this confession that he's making because he's a Christian and he has to say these things or because other Christians are listening. It's what he really felt on the inside. He felt compassion for them and listen to why. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them. Why did he teach them? Because they need the knowledge of salvation in the forgiveness of their sin. Teaching is a movement of compassion and mercy. To have the patience to teach someone, to help them to come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it comes because you really love them. You really feel that compassion for them. And you know that they are sheep. You know these are my kids. You know they belong to Jesus. But they've wandered off. Like the one that wandered off and the good shepherd leaves the 90 and 9 to go find the one. Because he's wandered off. And he needs to have a shepherd. The only reason he's in the position he's in, it's not even so much his fault as the fault is that he's just without a shepherd. And so he feels compassion for them. And go with me over to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. We actually find this word in several places in the New Testament. I'm not going to read all of them, but I do want to read this. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says in verse 11, Paul's talking to the Corinthians, 
He says, our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians, and our heart is opened wide. No. In the Greek, it says, our splachnon, our bowels are opened wide to you. I know that sounds ridiculous in English, so obviously they're not going to translate it that way. But it says, our intestines are opened wide to you. But what he's really saying is our feelings are opened wide to you. You know, we're an open book for you. We don't hide our feelings from you. You know how much we love you and how much we care about you. But then he goes on to say, and understand that this is God talking. You need to understand that this morning. You need to hear this this morning, that God's not hiding his feelings from you. You know how much he really loves you, how much he really cares for you. You've got a whole book here if you just take the time to read it, letters. He's written so many love letters to you. There's so much in here, and yet you go in here and you look for all the things that you can construe to say that God's mad at you and feel guilty about it. Stop it. There's a lot of stuff you could construe that way if you want to, just like you could construe your own parents when you were being raised by them, words into saying that they hate you and, they want, and, and feel guilty about it. When they didn't hate you, they were disciplining you because they loved you. The whole message is that God loves you, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, etc. He says, so our mouth, God says, my mouth has spoken freely to you, O Yerringtonians. My, my bowels are opened wide to you. My feelings are opened wide to you. And he says, you are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. So the word affections here are these bowels also, these feelings. I understood this last weekend. Really, and you can't, I just, you just can't even imagine how, what a revelation it was to me to understand how much my feelings had been restrained. It's normal. We restrain our feelings. But God wants to release our feelings. He wants to release his power into our lives so that we would feel his love again. He says, you are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections, or your own feelings. Now in a like exchange, I speak as to children, open wide to us also, and do not be bound together with unbelievers, etc. And I understood from the Lord that the reason we're restrained in our own feelings is because we've not opened wide to the Lord. We're afraid to receive from him the forgiveness that he really has for our lives or the love that he really has for our lives because we know the responsibility it gives us also, the change that it makes on the inside of us. So open wide to Jesus. Why do you think Jesus gave us this meal? Why do you think he gave us this cup? Because we have to open wide to receive his body. This is my body which is broken for you. This is my, the cup of my new covenant. This is my blood. Open wide and receive the Holy Spirit. When he met the disciples after, after he raised up from the dead, the first thing he did is he went to them and he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. The breathing alone wouldn't be enough if they didn't receive. Open your hearts, gentlemen, and receive the Holy Spirit. Quit frustrating the grace of God. Stop frustrating what God wants to do in our lives. And God says to them, you need to open wide to us also. And he says, I speak as I speak to children. Now, every parent in here knows what this is like, okay? These examples are so easy for us to understand if you've ever raised a child 
or raising a child right now, that you're talking to them and it's going in one ear and out the other, right? You're talking to them and it's, it's just like you're throwing snowballs at a brick wall or something. Nothing's penetrating. They're not opening wide to receive also. And then you say, well, fine, you're still going to do it because I said to do it. Fine, I'll do it. You know, and like when I was a little kid, I remember, I, we always, I don't know if kids do this anymore, we'd always stick our tongue out at people. Well, you didn't stick your tongue out at mom, so I'd stick my tongue out at her in the inside of my mouth. This is what it looks like. <laughs> now, on the inside, I was sticking my tongue out at her. I remember one day, she said, stop sticking your tongue out at me. And I was like, dang, she could even see inside my mouth. And probably I had bulging cheeks or something like that. But when we don't open wide to receive from the Lord, it's not his fault. He's trying to bless us. He's trying to pour into our lives. You know, I could have stubbornly told Ty, well, I ain't going to go to Oklahoma this weekend. We got Leon Patillo coming here. And blah, 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 blah. No, I did listen to her. There's a power in obedience. But I got, I got on that plane thinking, well, I'll have a nice time, but I probably should stay in Yarrington. But no, God knew where I needed to be. And, and um, you know, I would have really missed out if I hadn't listened to God. We've got to be, as the old preachers used to say, under the spout where the glory comes out. If you're not, you just miss the glory. You miss what God has for you because you're not in the place he wants you to be. So open wide your heart to them. God wants you to feel again. He wants you to feel the things that he feels. There are three parables, and I'm not going to open these scriptures, just family Sunday and just for time, and I think you know the parables, but I'll tell you where they are. Okay? There are three parables of Jesus where we find this same word, splachnon. And usually it's going to be translated into English as heart, but it has to do with feelings. The first parable is in Matthew chapter 18, okay? and it's basically from verse 21 through 35. And it's where uh, Peter comes to Jesus and he thinks he's being really noble. And he says, you know, how, how many times should I forgive, uh, you know, my neighbor, my brother? Uh, up to seven times? And Jesus says, what are you talking about seven times? It needs to be the 70 times seven. And you, know, you need to understand the metaphor. He's saying without end. You know, it doesn't mean count to 490 and then that's it. <laughs> that he's saying without end. You just keep forgiving him. And you know that Peter's in shock because, honestly, we know the scripture, but in real life, you know, we have a limit to how, how many times we're going to forgive him. But Jesus doesn't. And he says, so I'm going to tell you this parable. And he tells a parable about this master who has a servant, and the servant owes him 10,000 talents. Now, understand, that's like 10,000 years' worth of wages. So I don't even know how much that is in dollars, but it's an impossible amount. You could never pay it back. I don't even know how he got into that kind of debt. Remember how Jesus taught us to pray? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And this parable shows us that our debt before God is impossible to repay. And your debt before me, whatever you did to wrong me, it's nothing. It's nothing compared to what I owe to God. Okay, And so the servant, he, he's going to sell the servant. Okay, and if you know how slavery used to work, right, in American history, we have a good understanding of this, I think. He's going to sell the, the slave to one person. He's going to sell the slave's wife to another person, and he's going to farm out each one of his children to other people. Okay, 
You're like, what kind of picture of God is that? Well, it's Jesus' parable, so don't argue with me about it. But why is he going to do this? Because there's a debt that cannot be repaid. And so the servant comes to him and falls on his knees, and he, and he begs for mercy. And he, he asks, he does not, he does not ask the master to forgive his debt. He asks the master, he says, have patience, and I will pay you back everything I owe you. Well, he's not ever going to pay back 10,000 talents. He could work all of his life. He's not going to live 10,000 years. He'll never pay it back. But he says, have patience. And it says there that the master, he felt this mercy in his bowels. He felt mercy, the tender mercies. It was a feeling. And he looked at his servant and he said, I forgive you the whole debt. 10,000 talents, you're forgiven. The feeling, the tender mercies of our God, they do more than just have patience with people. Please listen to this. They, have, they do way more than just have patience with people. The tender mercy, when, when you're having patience, that's great. But we're not at the place where God wants us yet. Because when his tender mercies are flowing out of our heart, then they bring complete forgiveness of debt, complete forgiveness of sin. You don't have to pay anything back because you don't owe me anything anymore. I want you to know that you don't owe God anything because Jesus already paid the debt completely. And so stop trying to pay him back because you can't pay him back and you don't need to do that because you don't owe him anything. Live your life for him out of love. And you'll be so much more successful in your Christian life than you ever would living your life for him out of guilt. So he just completely forgives him. But then, you know, what happens in the parable, the servant goes and he has a, a friend who's also a slave and that friend owes him uh, a few uh, hundred denarii. And a denarii is like a day's wage. So that friend owes him, you know, maybe half a year's wages. Okay, it's a lot of money, but it is repayable. It's something you could repay, right? And so he says, pay me back. And he says the same words, exactly the same words. Have patience with me and I'll pay you back everything. But the servant is wicked. He received forgiveness from the master, but he would not forgive the little debt that his friend owed him. And so he put his friend in jail to make him pay it back. I never got that either. The debtor's prison thing. How are you going to pay it back when you're sitting in jail? He put him in jail. And then it says something very interesting, that when the other servants, there's a whole household of servants, and Jesus says that this is likened to the kingdom of God. When the other servants heard about this, it grieved them, and they went and they told the master. And so the master came and got the slave and dealt with him, and it says that he became very angry with him. There was a, there was a feeling that came on him. There's two feelings in the story. One feeling is mercy. Tender mercy. It's the feeling. It's the action of God's love. It's compassion. Compassion is this feeling that brings about a result. Okay? And that's God's love. But the other feeling is anger. And they are opposites. The anger and the mercy. But the first feeling God has is mercy. The anger comes because the servant would not use or act in the same mercy towards his brethren. When the tender mercies of God are being frustrated 
in a church body or being frustrated in a family, then it brings grief to the whole family. The whole body suffers because we don't have mercy for one another, because we don't see each other with the eyes of Jesus, because we don't see ourselves with the eyes that he has for us. James chapter 2, verse 13, it says, Judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy, because mercy triumphs over judgment. When judgment takes the upper hand over mercy, it brings grief to the entire kingdom of God. Is judgment taking the upper hand over mercy in your life and in your relationships right now? Give the upper hand to mercy. Open your heart wide to Jesus. Let him fill you up with the, those feelings of mercy and begin to see things the way he sees them and stop seeing them the way judgment sees them. There's a place and there's a time for judgment. And judgment will come to every person on this earth who rejects the mercy of God. They'll get the anger of God. That's gospel truth. But it's not God's desire. He's not willing that any should perish. And he offers the mercy first because mercy triumphs over judgment. The second parable is the parable of the prodigal son. Everybody knows that parable. Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Uh, basically from verse 20 through 32 is the part you could read. Uh, you could read the whole parable. And it says the same thing, that when the son comes home to the father, that the father is moved with compassion. It's the same word, splachnon. He has a movement in his vital organs. He feels something on the inside. And you know he feels it because here comes his son from far away. And what's his son done to him? This son has squandered his entire inheritance. This son has badmouthed him all over the universe. This son's treated his dad like trash. His father has every reason to hate this son, but he doesn't because he sees him from far away. And a dad knows his son, no matter how far away he is. A mom knows uh, her child, no matter how far away he is. And he sees him from really far away. And it says that he runs out to meet him he falls on his neck and hugs him and kisses him. What it does not say is that the son hugs or kisses him back. Because he doesn't. He says to the dad, Dad, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Now that's a polite way of saying it because he wants a job with his dad, honestly. He's hungry. He's already said, I'll just go back home and get a job working for my dad. But in those words, I'm not worthy to be called your son, there's a, there's a hidden accusation that you failed me as a dad. But he didn't fail him. The axe head just fell off the handle and got lost. The dad acts like it's nobody's fault. Everything's okay. You're home now, that's all that matters. The cross went into the water and you swam up to the top and I can reach out and grab you. So I reached out and grabbed you. It doesn't even matter anymore. Let's not rehash the whole past so you squandered all the inheritance. That's all right. Welcome home, son. And it says he puts a robe on his back and he puts a ring on his finger. He says he doesn't even listen to what the son says. The son says to him, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And the dad doesn't even answer. Oh, no, yeah, son, you are worthy because here's your birth certificate and you actually are my son. Blah, blah, blah. He, doesn't, he doesn't even mention any of that stuff. He just says, Bring the robe, puts the robe on him. Bring the ring, puts the ring on him. Go kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a feast, right? 
You know the story. But the brother, he feels completely different. It's just like the story we just talked about before. The father is moved with compassion. But the brother, that's you and I. He's not moved with compassion. He doesn't feel a thing. He finds out that his brother came home and got the padded calf killed for him. He's mad. The anger and the mercy are opposite feelings. He's angry. And he says, I, you never, I've been with you all these years and I've served you all these years and you never killed a fatted calf for me or made a party for me and my friends. And his dad says, son, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. In parentheses, if you wanted a fatted calf, why didn't you say so? Why didn't you just go kill one? They all belong to you anyway. You wanted a birthday party, why didn't you tell me? You're always here. You're always my son. What are you so angry about? Why don't you feel the kind of compassion I feel? Because today, your brother who was lost, he's found. The axe head floated to the top. Your brother who was dead, he's alive today. And the third parable in which we find this is the story of the Good Samaritan. One of the greatest parables in Scripture. Because all the religious dudes, they walk past the guy that's gotten beaten up. The pastors, the preachers, they all walk right past him because they're too busy with their religion to feel anything. And here comes a Samaritan, which if you know the culture, the, the most hated person that could come by. And when he comes by, he it says, Splachnon, he feels mercy. He's moved with compassion. And when he's moved with compassion, he doesn't call 911. When he's moved with compassion... He himself binds up the wounds. He himself pours in the oil and the wine. Then he puts us, he's not worried about getting sued for this. He puts the guy on his own donkey and transports him to the hospital. And when he gets to the hospital, it's called an inn. He says to them, uh, here's some money to take care of the guy. He pays the doctor's bills for the guy. Because all he's going to, this is what compassion does. When you're moved with compassion and you have these feelings, the money is no object. You want them to have the knowledge of salvation in the forgiveness of sins and to find the way of peace. And you're going to take that responsibility on yourself because that's what love does. That's the love of the Father. That's the love of Jesus for us. I want to go to one more place in Scripture. It's a book that we don't open very much. A letter. It's the letter to Philemon. Philemon. And you'll find it towards the end of the New Testament. Look in your table of contents if you don't know where it is. So go to Philemon, please. I can't even find it myself. So it's right before Hebrews. It only has one chapter in it. So, and in this little tiny letter, the letter of Philemon, another thing you could read at home, tells a story about a friend of Paul's named Philemon. And Philemon owns a slave. And I know that doesn't sound great today, but it's basically like saying Philemon's the boss and he has a worker that works for him, okay? And the slave's name is Onesimus. And Onesimus runs away because he's a lousy slave. He's a lousy worker. Uh, he wasn't a good worker anyway, and so he would get in trouble. And when he got in trouble, finally one day he just ran away. When he ran away, far, far away, uh, he probably got picked up for some violation, put in, some, in jail, and he meets Paul in jail. And Paul leads him to the Lord. And Onesimus is born again. 
and Onesimus's life completely changes. And Onesimus becomes this great help for, for Paul. And Paul wants to work with Onesimus. But he knows, before I can work with Onesimus, I need Philemon's agreement. So I'm going to send Onesimus home to Philemon. And he writes this letter to Philemon, and the whole letter is about the tender mercies of our God. Three times in this letter, it's in verse uh, 7, verse 12, and verse 20. He talks about these tender mercies and about them being refreshed. Look at verse 7. I'll just read those three verses. It says, For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. The word hearts is this word bowels. The tender mercies, the feelings of the saints have been refreshed. This morning, let God refresh your feelings. Nothing is impossible for our God. Philippians 2, verse 5 says, Have this attitude in you that was also in Christ Jesus. <coughs> the word attitude would be much better translated in English as these feelings. I'm <coughs> sorry. Have these feelings in you, the same feelings that Jesus has, and you will find rest for your soul. Let your joy be refreshed. In verse 12, he says, I have sent him, Onesimus, back to you in person, and as sending him, I'm sending you my very own heart. No, I'm sending you my vital organs. I'm sending you my bowels. I'm sending you my very feelings. I'm laying it all out before you when I send Onesimus back to you. Then Paul goes in talking about how I could command you to receive him, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to ask you to receive him because this is what God feels. I don't know if you can relate to the story of Philemon in your own life, um, but you need to relate to that story because it's a story of a person who's lost a story of a person who really should not be forgiven because he did something really bad, a story of a person that legally doesn't have to be forgiven and ought to get punished for it. It's a story of how mercy triumphs over judgment. And it's one of the most powerful letters in the New Testament. It says in verse 20 again about the refreshing of our feelings. It says, yes, brother, let me benefit from you and the Lord and refresh my bowels in Christ, refresh my heart in Christ. But before I end, I want you to look at verse 15. And I'll end with this verse. Read the whole story at home. It says, For perhaps he, Onesimus, was for this reason separated from you for a while so that you would have him back forever. You know what judgment does? Especially Vengeance. You know the scripture says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. It's not yours. That you are not designed to carry out judgment. We're not designed for that. Of course, in our society, certain people, because of their jobs, what they've been elected to, or what they do, you know, they have to exercise a measure of judgment, but hopefully they can do that tempered with mercy for the good of our whole society. But in our personal lives, we're not created by God to be able to handle judgment. It's reserved for him. It says to judge nothing before the time. 
It says to wait on the Lord. Allow him to take vengeance if vengeance needs it. Because you know what happens when you judge a situation before the time? You know what happens when you judge a situation not according to the mercy of God? Well, what happens is you miss out on the plan of God that he has in that. You frustrate the grace of God. He says in verse 15, perhaps. Maybe Onesimus ran away from you and all this bad stuff happened because God wanted to restore him to you and give you the best friend in Jesus that you ever could have had, Philemon. Somebody that'll be a son to you and you need Onesimus. We sometimes think that, boy, I'm just happy that person's not around anymore. But maybe we're missing out that we actually need that person in our lives. We need that person in our church. Not just that they need us, but we need them. When we judge too hastily, then we shut the door of mercy. But mercy leaves the door open for God to work mighty miracles. Perhaps whatever situation is in your family, whatever situation is going on with your children, grandchildren, etc., spouse, whatever, perhaps you just don't see everything as clearly as Jesus does. And all these bad things are happening for a reason so that God can do something really good that never could have happened without all the bad stuff happening first. Because our God, if we love him and we're called according to his purposes, he causes everything to work together for the good. Amen? So let's stand together. I'll have the worship team come up here, and we're going to receive communion this morning. As we receive communion this morning, you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writes about the receiving of communion. Shalene was talking about healing this morning. You know, there's one place in the New Testament that tells us one, a reason why Christians get sick. And, and it's 1 Corinthians 11. He says that some of you are getting sick and some of you are dying because you're receiving the body and the blood in an unworthy manner. You're not discerning the body of Christ. Well, you know, there's a, there's a very deep spiritual meaning to that. It doesn't mean just that you're coming up here and making jokes out of it or something like that. Obviously, that would be sacrilegious in an unworthy manner. But what it really means is that you're receiving this bread and you're receiving this cup when you won't even forgive your brother. You don't discern the body of Christ around you. And so it's working death into you. God's mercy is working judgment in you because you won't extend that mercy to others. So as we receive this this morning, I want us to open wide our hearts just as we worship the Lord and as we receive this in the privacy of your own heart. Just open wide your heart to Jesus. Just say, whatever you want to feed me, feed me. Give me what you're giving me. Restore those feelings to my heart again. Let me know my salvation and the salvation of my family and the forgiveness of sin. And wash all of these things away by the blood of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning that you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son that whoever, whoever would believe on him would have everlasting life. He would not perish, but have everlasting life. Lord, I thank you that you are a miracle-working God, that you cause the axe head to float to the surface of the water so that we can reach out and take it again, that you bring the prodigal son home, that you forgive 
all of our debt and that you have put us on your own donkey and poured the oil and wine of your Holy Spirit into our lives to heal us and paid for all of our healing. And by your stripes we are healed. I pray this morning that we would rightly discern the body of Christ. I pray this morning that you would just restore feelings into our lives and let us be moved with your compassion, Lord. Let us, the hallmark of our families and our church, be that those are a people moved with the compassion of Jesus. They feel what Jesus feels. Because you said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, because you have love one for another. Lord, I just pray for a revival of love. I believe that we're um, already not, not even on the doorstep of, of the end times. We're already in the end times. And things are going crazy in this world. And I don't, I don't it doesn't seem like uh, elections go the way that they ought to go. And nothing's happening and this and that and all this political stuff and everything around us, Lord. We need a revival of your love, Lord. We need a revival. We need to find the way of peace. And we need to walk in that way of peace. Because blessed are the peacemakers. We need to put first your kingdom and your righteousness, Lord. We need to have that love, those feelings of compassion revived in our own hearts, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that you would make us a people of your tender mercy. Of your tender mercy. And that your mercy would triumph over judgment in our lives, Lord. I pray that you would bring down utterly destroy barriers that stand between brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. That the love of God would flow out of our hearts like a river of living water. It should fill us up with your Holy Spirit to overflowing. Like it was for Isaac when he went out and he needed water and the Philistines had plugged up every one of the wells that his father had dug. I pray that you would help us to find those spots in our desert where the well was. Somewhere out there in that wilderness, there was a well, and we've forgotten where it is. Help us to find that spot again, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. And help us to dig that well up again, because we need that water to flow. We need that healing to flow. Just thank you for that now. We bless this, your body, and we bless this, your blood, and we receive this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. Before you leave, we want to remind you that if you want to continue receiving updates on new sermons, that you subscribe to our podcast. If you want more information on how to contact us, make sure to check out our website at urringtonvineyardfellowship.com. And we'll see you next time on the YBF Podcast.